Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. The death of Tyree Nichols in Memphis last month left many of us angry and feeling renewed pain. Like a lot of people, I chose not to watch the video of his brutal beating that was released by the Memphis Police Department. His killing has stepped up calls for police reform nationally and here in Minnesota. The five Memphis police officers charged with murder in the case are all black men, and that is raising more nuanced questions about the role of race in policing. Meanwhile, public confidence in police continues to drop. So today I'm talking with two Minnesota police chiefs. They're two of the very few black men who lead p- police departments in our state. We're going to talk about their reaction to what happened to Tyree Nichols and their thoughts about what went wrong. We'll also hear what they have to say about the future of policing here in Minnesota and nationally. And I want to hear from you, too. The phone lines are open. What questions do you have for these law enforcement officers about the inner workings of their police departments or police reform in general? The numbers to call are 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. You can also leave me a message on Twitter. I'm at Angela Davis NPR. Let's bring in our guests. We have in the studio with me Roger New. Roger New is the Egan Police Chief. He was appointed in 2018 and has been with the department for 29 years. He's also a graduate of the FBI National Academy. Glad to have you back on the show, Chief New. Thanks, Angela, for having me. Booker Hodges is also here. Booker is the Bloomington Police Chief. And before that, he served as Assistant Commissioner at the Minnesota Department of Public Safety. He has a doctorate degree in public administration from Hamlin University. Thanks so much for coming in, Chief Hodges. Thank you. Uh, you know, we started before we went on the air, I was processing with you, I, I told you I had uh, deliberately not watched the video had deliberately tried not to read too many of the details, because it has been really um, emotionally draining uh, for me to try to understand and learn what happened. Uh, but Chief New, you joined me on this program in the past to talk about police recruitment and training shortly after George Floyd's murder in 2020. And you reached out to me last week, to say you wanted to come back to talk about what happened in Memphis. Uh, Clearly, it's weighing heavily on your mind, um, the brutal beating of Tyree Nichols. What is it that you you really want people to know? Well, Angela, first and foremost, again, thank you for uh, having me on the show today. And you are right. I, I, I wanted to talk about this. And I was much like you, where I paused and, and I took some time to process the stuff that was being reported on the news. And I necessarily didn't want to watch the video, but um, I kept being asked by people, chief, have you seen the video? Have you seen the video? And I happened to be on vacation when I started to get an onslaught of messages from people inquiring if I saw the video. So I took it upon myself uh, while on vacation one morning to uh, uh, watch the video uh, the Sunday following after it came out. And uh, I got to say, I was, uh, I was sickened. I, um, you know, 30, 40 minutes of video. Um, there was probably about five minutes into the video. Um, honestly, I, I, I considered turning off the video and stop watching it just because I was so sickened by what I was seeing by people that wear the uniform, just like myself. Um, but I've made myself watch the video. I forced myself to watch the entire 40 minutes trying to process how this all took place, what happened, and, uh, you know, really trying to, in my mind, wrap my mind around, you know, 
what went wrong here because there were many failures that took place uh, on January 7th in Memphis involving these officers. And honestly, at the end of it, uh, I, again, I was sickened. I was frustrated. I was angry. I had a range of emotions uh, that ran through me. And I just wanted the opportunity to uh, come talk about those things. Um, and we're going to step through what went wrong step by step, what you saw based on your training. And, and But first, I want to ask you, Chief Hodges, uh, what are your thoughts um, after you learned about what happened to Tyree Nichols? And then, you know, how much of the video have you been able to look at? Um, I watched the whole video and, you know, my comments are going to be precipitated while I realize I'm in a different place than most. Um, yes, I was disturbed by the video. It was absolutely uh, terrible what they did to him. But my reaction to that video was the same when I watched black people getting shot in the street. Uh, when people are getting murdered, my reaction is the same as it was to the brutal beatdown that they gave uh, Mr. Nichols. And for me, it's always about, um, I don't like to see people getting victimized, period. Regardless if it's by the state or if it's at the hands of others in the neighborhood. Uh, to me, I've, I said, I, I realize I'm in a different place than most, but I value, um, I value life. And what you're seeing there was a complete and utter disrespect for humanity. And unfortunately, in our society, we just keep, we're in a place where what happened on that street corner is reflective of where we're at in society with regards to our respect for each and every one of our humanity. Because violence is violence. Mm -hmm. It's Absolutely. inhumane. Mm -hmm. Right. So as we continue to talk about this case, um, I, w I want to talk about the, 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 the conversations that are happening about race in this. So, again, we mentioned the five Memphis officers uh, who beat Ty Tyree Nichols are all black. And many of the high profile police brutality cases that we've seen in the news involve white officers who kill black people. So what is your take uh, on, I guess, in some cases, the surprise that black officers would treat another black man so inhumanely? I'll jump in. Chief New? Yeah. Um, you know, again, I'm going to say it's not about someone's race. It's about um, listening to humanity, like uh, Chief Hodges just said. Um, far too often, we we immediately run to race as being the mechanism of what took place. If you go back to, to George Floyd, you had Asian officer, two white officers, and a black officer involved in that incident, and we were talking about race. Um, you know, it, when we all take an oath and oath of office, when we do this job, we commit to, um, upholding the constitution of the state of Minnesota and the, uh, to the United States of America. And the long and the short of it is those officers didn't do that that day. And people, you know, people expect us from a law enforcement standpoint to come in and be trustful and to do our job. Uh, honestly, and they failed on uh, January 7th. Those officers did. It wasn't about race. It was about failure of some people um, wearing the uniform that day. And Chief Hodges, I mean, I've seen several news reports and commentaries about the idea that black cops are not exempt from anti-black policing. What What are the conversations you're hearing about race in this case? Yeah, I, I hear that argument. I don't agree with it. Um, my The way I view it is... Viewing this as a race incident um, is the easy way out, right? It's a lot easier for society to deal with race because if you ask the average person, none of us are racist, right? But when you start talking about humanity, that's something we all got to own. Mm -hmm. And with this, to me, it's, it's a complete lack of disrespect for humanity. 
they didn't respect him as a human. And I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. If you victimize people, I don't care what race you are, and you show a disrespect for humanity, you get orange jumpsuits. And that's what they got. And they should get that. So to me, it doesn't matter if they're black, white, Asian, or whoever. If you victimize people, and if you got a uniform on, and you do that, the minute you start doing that, you cease becoming a cop and you become a criminal and you get locked up. And that's exactly what what happened to them. And I hope that the justice system uh, works out so they get to stay locked up for a while. So, again, this is about inhumanity, mm-hmm. not valuing life. So uh, getting back again to the specifics of the Tyrese Nichols case in Memphis, Chief New, I know you wanted to point out a few things or several things that, that went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, the First, the police report from Memphis said that Nichols was pulled, pulled over for, quote, reckless driving. And whether or not that's the case, why weren't they able to take him into custody right after he was pulled over? I mean, what was going on there? Is this a failure of, of training? Or You know, I, I wasn't there, and, and I don't know. But when I after I watched the video, you know, there's three things that came to mind for me that, that as a chief, I immediately want to look into. One, our training. Um, you know, during that traffic stop, um, dealing with uses of force, um, how come they weren't working collectively that, together to take Mr. Nichols into custody? The other one is oversight. Who was managing that scene, um, at, you know, at any given moment of time when he started running, uh, when they were um, um, in the neighborhood beating Mr. Nichols? Who was managing that incident? And even after the fact, when he was leaning up against the car, where was the oversight? And then um, lastly, you know, when you start thinking about the people that that were involved in this incident, as chief, one of the things I would do is I would start looking at our screening process to figure out how did these people get in the door? Um, how were they part of this unit? Um, those are things for me as a chief that I'd be looking at. And I would suspect that the chief down there in Memphis is likely going to take a look at those things. If she's not, she should be. And these officers were wearing body cameras. I mean, um, they knew their actions were being recorded. And, you know, advocates for body cameras, um, you know, they always say that cameras will defer, deter police from misusing force. And so what are we supposed to take away from that, that even with body cameras on that this behavior happened? Well, I think, again, you got a bunch of people who just didn't respect humanity. And if you don't respect humanity, who cares what camera you got on, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure they knew that that camera was above them when they did this too. And a complete lack of disrespect for humanity is, is really what took place on that street corner. But I'm going to add a little something that chief new didn't said that I observed. And it's the same thing that I observed in the video when people watched uh, George Floyd getting murdered. There was no Sergeant that came out there on that scene when they're dealing with this person for an extended period of time. And you don't see a supervisor out there. The most important person in any law enforcement organization is your frontline supervisors. Their job is more important than mine because they are out there day in, day out dealing with our officers. In both of these instances, you didn't see a supervisor out there. That is a cultural piece that I think, you know, as people start to evaluate this incident down the road, um, those are going to be some of the things that people look at. And I've been a cop now for 18 years. I can't imagine a situation And I mean, Chief New probably is going to be the same way where our people are dealing with someone in a physical confrontation for extended period of time. An extended period of time in a physical confrontation is, you know, three to five minutes. Right. Where a sergeant is not going to show up at the scene. I 
I don't understand how that happened. Um, especially when you got two scenes where you got one where the traffic stop happened and he runs or whatever, you know, their version of the story is. And then you go to a street corner and to still not have a supervisor there. I'm speechless on that. And your thoughts about how long this went on Uh, several minutes. You said that the full course of the video, it's like 30 minutes. It's like 30 minutes. And again, you know, whether there was or wasn't a, a supervisor that was there, there was no oversight. Nobody was managing that scene. It was a failure. And that would be, again, one of the things when I'm going back as chief analyzing the situation that I would look look at. Um, I will say and you, you made reference to body cameras and my takeaway with regards to the body cameras and just seeing some of their actions were this wasn't the first time they had done this. It wasn't the first time. And again, that speaks to that oversight because there seemed to be a lack of regard for the policies and procedures of that organization. There seemed to be this mob mentality that uh, took place during this incident. And, you know, honestly, I, 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 again, those were the parts that was very disappointing for me because that is not what I've seen here in policing, uh, in my agency or others that I've worked with in, uh, you know, in, 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 the, in, in the metro area. And so my understanding in in police training, so much of it um, has to do with protecting your fellow officers uh, working as a team. So is that somehow a factor in this, that that you support what you're seeing and and that there is this hesitancy or the belief that you don't intervene and stop something, even if you think something's not right? I would say no. Um, You know, it's a, it's a failure in training in that organization because this all circles back to the whole duty of duty to intercede. And if it was never more clear, it should have been clear to every law enforcement uh, agency throughout the world uh, following George Floyd's death. It should have been. It was in, it, it was shouted uh, loud and clear. And I I can tell you that it's something that we train on in in my police department, and I know others do as well. I read in, in a, a report, I think it was on NPR, that um, the video shows the officers shouting um, profanities mm-hmm. at, at Tyree Nichols. Um, what is that about? And what do we take from that when you see and hear that, Chief Hodges? So um, one of the things that, you know, we try to work on is, you know, our, our brains as human beings, um, we go to what's muscle memory, right? So when we're training, for me, it's telling people don't cuss in training. Right. Because when you get stressed and all those layers come off, that's what you're going to start doing. Right. So to me, if you start training to where people aren't cussing, you don't get that. But in this instance, I'm going to I know I sound like a broken record. These guys did not respect humanity. So them cussing at him was a complete uh, dem- demonstration of that. And I know in Bloomington, um, you can ask any of our officers, any of our dispatchers, anybody that works there. Our core value in the Bloomington Police Department is respect. And we came to that um, in conjunction with our community. So there is no ambiguity, right, in what, what our core value is. And you disrespect people, you're not going to have a job, period. And I think some agencies, you know, when you bring some of these other Cleos on here, ask them what their core value of their agency is. So you're both in leadership positions. You're both police chiefs. Uh, you are playing a central role in hiring and recruiting people. How do you know you're not hiring someone who has the potential to do something that is this humane? How would you know? You hope you don't. Um, I'll be honest with you. You really hope you don't. But I think the screening process, when you go through your background, 
um, and you look at the person's back, uh, past history, um, you're trying to look at their value system and, uh, you know, what they've done in the past or interactions with people in the community. And one of the most important things is you can't overlook what people have done in the past. And, and I, I'll say everyone wearing the uniform isn't perfect. We don't have a, a, you know, back, back their backgrounds aren't, you know, entirely clean, but it's also how have they done if they have had an indiscretion, what have they done since then? And what have they done to rectify themselves? But there's some things that honestly are absolute disqualifiers um, that, you know, you just can't. And uh, your sense of respect, your professionalism with people, um, you know, that speaks to your core value and, and, and your sense of integrity speaks to your core value. And those are the people when you when you have people that may falter on that. Sorry, you can't let them in the door. And in the hiring process, are there psychological tests that officers go through? Is that part of what happens when you're in, in the academy? I, I don't know how it works. Yeah, so I can explain to you what we do in Bloomington. And our process is probably a little unique in this. Um, we do a, what's called a character-based model or values-based model. So we measure people's values. So in your interview questions, we're measuring your core values. And our community has told us that if your officers, first and foremost, are respectful compassionate, honest, and uh, service-orientated, we will trust them. So all of our questions are geared towards measuring that. And our psychologists, when they're testing these folks, they're looking for those character traits in their uh, psychological exams also. Um, And a lot of times when you say character-based model, people think we're talking about perfect people. No, I want people who have made some mistakes, right? And why? Because when you make a mistake, I can see how you've handled that mistake, mm-hmm. right? I'd rather hire someone who's made a mistake and observed how they handle it before they get the greatest power in a free society, which is to take someone's freedom. Uh, I'd rather see that before they put on a uniform. Absolutely. I want to take some phone calls uh, from listeners. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the brutal beating and the death of Tyree Nichols last month at the hands of five Memphis police officers who have now been charged with second degree murder. And I have two police chiefs here from Minnesota with me in the studio, two black police chiefs. And I want to hear from you, too. What questions do you have for these law enforcement officers about the inner workings of their departments or police reform in general? You can call us at 651 651- Two two seven six thousand or at eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Let's take a phone call from Brooklyn Center. This is Edwin, who is on the line. Edwin, thank you for for calling in. What did you want to share or ask? Hello, Angela. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead, Edwin. Yeah. So I wanted to share that the chief stated that this is about humanity. I agree. However, is the inhumanity of how society has thought folks to treat black lives, the inhumanity. So those very cops, even though they are black, they don't respect black lives. White cops would not respect black lives. So it's generally, yes, it's about humanity, but race plays a very important role in this whole factor. This chief also talk about yeah, psychologists accessing people and determining. We know that psychology itself has a basis in racism. And this reason, so some of the assessment to do, uh, there's, there's bias in the assessment of how they assess people based on their, what they look like. So we, there's no reason why the chief would say that because race is a very important part of this whole factor. So we can't discount that at all. 
All right, that's Edwin in Brooklyn Center. Back to the conversation about uh, race. And, you know, have have Black community members been reluctant um, to trust you all? I mean, you have experience as being Black cops. Uh, Have you sensed a a reluctance of people to trust you uh, because they have negative feelings about law enforcement officers, often based on their experiences? Chief New? I would say that it's run the gamut. And, uh, you know, I want to go back to the comments and uh, from Edwin and simply uh, say race does matter. And uh, I've been doing this job for 29 years. Uh, I'm 52 years old and I've worn the uniform of being a black man for 52 years of my life. I put on a uniform for 29 years and I've worn the uniform of a black man for 52 years. And I can tell the stories and speak to the challenges of being a black man here in Minnesota and in policing. Um, But when we do this job, we can't look at things from a racial lens, through a racial lens. Does it happen and does it occur? Yep. I'm not going to disagree. I'm, I'm sure that it happens for folks that do this job. Um, but every profession has a bad apple. Um, but Chief Hodges mentioned the word humanity, and he's used it several times during this conversation. And he's exactly right. There's a lack of humanity. And if we can start from a place of talking about humanity, everybody's entitled to it. Every last person is entitled to a sense of humanity and what that looks like. And I think sometimes when we infuse the word race, we paralyze opportunity to have some conversations about race. But as a black cop working with your colleagues who are white, have you witnessed times where you did see disrespect for black community members? I, you know, I've been doing this for 29 years and uh, I can't say that I have. I really can't. Um, do people have differing views to me? Absolutely. But I can't say in my 29 years I've had someone treat someone differently because of their race. So you haven't witnessed that? No. And what about you, Chief Hodges, and in your law enforcement experience? Have you been in situations where you've seen uh, black community members treated differently than, than white community members? No, I haven't. I, I haven't seen it. And I look for it, right? When I was a real cop, you know, I jokingly say that. But no, I, I haven't seen it. And I don't know, you know, I... I still believe that the vast overwhelming majority of people that we hire to do this job are great people. And like uh, Chief Anderson says, they're in this job for the right reasons. And I, I firmly believe that. But I, I haven't seen it. But I will, and again, for what uh, Mr. Edwin said, again, I know I'm in a different place on this. Before I became a police officer, I was active in the community. I was the NAACP president. Um, in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis. So my vantage point, my experience is a little bit different than some people's. And for me, I just view any black life that's taken. It doesn't matter how it's taken. They all matter the same to me. And I know that's difficult for some people to understand, but my experience and the way I view it, it's, I'm not going to apologize for my views. Um, I'm not going to tell anybody else how to think, but you don't get to tell me how to think either. And um, I'm just going to leave it at that. Let's take another phone call from a listener. In White Bear Lake, we have Kyle on the phone. And and Kyle, as we talk about what happened in Memphis, as we talk about what's happening here in Minnesota and what can be done to improve policing, what are your thoughts? What's your question? Yeah. um, So I used to be a teacher, and the the union does a lot of wonderful things. but something that can make unions can make difficult is um, reforming the way things work or getting rid of 
you know, bad apples. Um, so I'm wondering what roles the unions play in helping policing get better. Um, and also, like, administratively, if unions make it really difficult to make that happen, because um, I know with principals, they already have so much on their plate to hold teachers accountable and start that process of dismissal was, like, logistically impossible sometimes. So I'm just curious what the chiefs has to say about the role of uh, unions. All right. That's uh, Kyle in White Bear Lake talking about uh, if you identify a bad apple, what can and should be done? Um, uh, Chief New there in, in Egan, uh, how do you approach that? If if there is a situation or person you see is problematic, what can you do and what role does the union play in making that possible? Well, you know, long story short, each officer, uh, as well as the school teachers, are entitled to uh, all things due process because of their contractual agreements with uh, their employer. Um, you know, I, I, I can say, um, you know, we try to collect, we try to work closely with our union. We try to be as transparent as we can. Um, I haven't uh, necessarily seen many roadblocks per se with, with regards to unions. Um, I know that there's some legislation that's being proposed at the Capitol with regards to this very topic that gives a little bit more autonomy uh, to the CLEO with making decisions with regards to removing police officers. Um, but, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things, and, and I'll end with saying this, is it's a sense of accountability, too. Um, we have to hold that when, when, when an officer, a school teacher, or anyone that's part of a union does something wrong, um, we need to we need to get back to a place of holding people accountable. And with that said, I think that the same is true when we're talking about uh, people in the community that do something wrong. They need to be held accountable. Um, as we talk about crime trends and whatnot taking place in the community, it's because people feel um, that there's not going to be any accountability or I'm going to get a pass. Accountability still means something and it creates a sense of uh, safety and security for people when they're at home. So I'm going to probably take a little bit different approach <laughs> than Chief New here. Um, in Bloomington, our union is phenomenal. I mean, I, I know if one of our officers did something that was completely out of bounds that they wouldn't go to bat for them, right? Um, when I was at the state, uh, the Troopers Union, uh, the BCA Union, they they were all great uh, to work with. Um, but there was one agency where um, the union did present some challenges, and I'm going to try to break this down real quick for folks so people understand kind of some of the dynamics with law enforcement unions currently going on right now. Uh, there was a Supreme Court decision, Jonas, that came out that um, allowed members uh, to decide that they could opt out of the union and not have to pay fair share dues. So I was as an administrative role at an agency. When that happened, I started to see one union in particular get a lot of push, a lot of stuff that wouldn't normally get pushed. Right. So that's, we're still in that post Janice environment. So for those who are not familiar with unions prior to that ruling, if you wanted to opt out of being in the union, you would still have a fair share amount taken out of your paycheck for the mm. union, right? So say like normal union dues was $42 a month, the fair share amount would be $28 and you would have absolutely no control over that. But when Jonas got passed, um, you can opt out of the union and not have to pay fair share dues now. So basically you can be in a member of a collective bargaining group not pay dues and still get, you know, all the negotiated benefits that a union does. So when that happened, um, some unions decided that, 
you know, in order to maintain members that they were going to start to take the fight more to administrations. And we're still in that post Giannis um, field. But like I said, I, I've had great relationships with our with our unions. Let's go back to St. Paul, where Ed has reconnected with us. Ed, we can, I think, hear you again now. Go ahead with your question or your comment. All right. Well, thanks uh, to mm-hmm. the Chiefs, first of all, for talking about humanity and, uh, and, and, and respecting all those people that they're serving. But there's something about that culture that's kind of disturbing as we're hearing the news about the Scorpion unit and uh, how you know, there's a, a New York Times report, how they, were, they, were, they were, put them in balaclavas and set them in muscle cars and tell them to go get the bad guys. Do you see that there's any responsibility for how the mission kind of puts them at odds with that, um, that idea of respecting the, the humanity of the people they're apprehending? All right. Uh, Ed is asking it. And I think a scorpion unit, is that just a specialized unit uh, that is formed to patrol special high crime neighborhoods? Uh, first, uh, Chief Booker, uh, Chief Booker, Chief Hodges. <laughs> what is uh, what is he talking so, about? With so, a scorpion yeah, unit? Roger's giving that? this one to me. So um, scorpion first is 2023. Mm-hmm. We ain't learned not to call a unit scorpion. Let's start there. Um, so these units are typically formed to go into, you know, neighborhoods that are having high rates of victimization, right? So where you get a bunch of people that are being victimized, uh, murdered, assaulted, domestic assaults. The way, so in Bloomington, I can tell you, we don't have one of those units. We have a special investigations unit um, and our investigators are top notch. So like when we have these high profile incidents, they're the ones that go arrest the people that are responsible for those instances, right? But they don't have muscle cars, there's no traffic lights in their vehicle. So if they got to make a traffic stop, um, a person, you know, a marked unit will come do that. Some agencies in this culture piece, and I know Chief New and I had talked about this, and this is kind of one of my pet peeves. Um, some of these agencies with these specialty units, they're detached from the police department. They're off in some separate location or they're in some hole in the police department where the chief doesn't even have access to the buildings. Or can't get into the okay, office. This sounds scary. No, and it, it exists in a lot of police departments around this country. And, you know, we're not set up like that. I mean, my department, they're on, their office is very close to mine. I can get in there anytime I want. I walk by, I see these folks all, all day. Um, again, they're, they're top-notch folks, and they, they do a great job. But some agencies do have that separation where they got their own building, uh, the Clio or the chief doesn't have access to it. They don't see the chief. And that's a culture problem in some places. And I know Chief New and I had talked about it. Just I, It's 2023, 2022, and we're calling a unit Scorpion. Indicating that it, the mission is to it, attack. What does Scorpion do? I, what does a Scorpion do? Tell me. Sting somebody, right? It stings somebody. That's what a Scorpion does. That that would be if if, so, if one of my staff members came forward to me and said, "Chief, we want to call a specialized unit Scorpion," I would say, "Absolutely not." Again, it goes. You, you have to look at your core values of your organization. I would say, "Absolutely not." The sum total of it is, and again, I mentioned the three components that I would be looking at as chief from the Memphis incident. It's about oversight. It's about oversight. If you do have a specialized unit. And this is what we believe they had in Memphis. They had a specialized unit to deal with high crime neighborhoods. Correct. 
who was a, who was part of that unit that was providing checks and balances. The sum total of it is we can look at statistics and we can look at stats and things going on. There's violent crime taking place and there's hot spots throughout the country where things are happening. There's no doubt about that. So if you have people that are working plain clothes detail or if you have people that are working in these um, uh, hot spots per se, um, there still needs to be oversight. There still needs to be checks and balances for how you do the job because there's rule and order in how you do the job. And, 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 and long story short, one of the main things, whether it's a hot spot or it's a, a very affluent community, when people are at home, there are citizens that just simply want to be safe at home. And they look to the police to provide that sense of safety and security, but they expect us to do it in a respectful and professional manner. And I don't care if you're part of some specialized unit or or uh, some specialized team. There, therein lies the expectation is that people expect us to do things professionally and respectfully. And that comes through some oversight. And making sure you got good people doing it. Mm-hmm. So President Biden uh, is uh, expected to talk about policing in his State of the Union address tonight. We know that Tyree Nichols' mother and, and stepfather have been invited, and and uh, President Biden is very likely to call on Congress to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. And then this is you know legislation that passed the House in March of 2021, but it faced Republican opposition in the Senate. Um, what do the two of you think about some of the, the, the these federal proposals, and why is it n- not going anywhere? Uh, it involves a ban on uh, so-called chokeholds, a ban on no-knock warrants in certain cases, the creation of a new national database for allegations of officer misconduct. Uh, it involves some changes that make it easier to bring charges against individual police officers, also to file civil lawsuits against them. Uh, why isn't this moving in Congress? What are your your thoughts about what's the holdup and, and what's good and what's bad about it? Uh, this this act, Chief Hodges? Uh, I think the the part that's getting it hung up is the qualified immunity piece, right? So for people to understand what qualified immunity is, is basically if you work for the government and something happens that um, you're going to be indemnified or the government's going to cover like civil expenses, right? But in Minnesota, you know, if you're negligent of your duties, you're not going to be indemnified. But the qualified immunity is what's holding it up because if you give it up for police officers, judges, politicians right so say like the legislature passes some law that allows a whole bunch of people to get killed and now the public gets to sue them for that that's and you know the supreme court's already ruled that you know in favor basically of qualified immunity so that's i think that's what the main holdup in the legislation is is the qualified immunity piece chief new what's what's going on with congress what can we expect to see and why isn't you know why hasn't anything happened yet you know, um, I, I'm just going to echo Chief Hodges' sentiments uh, with regards to that. I think uh, qualified immunity is uh, is uh, a key component of that. And it was interesting because uh, about a year or so ago, I was having a conversation with one of our local representatives, and they talked about how they had qualified immunity, uh, and they didn't have to uh, provide a deposition for something that they were part of. I'm not going to name uh, who that individual was, but... Uh, I will just simply say that I think that that is a big component of, uh, you know, likely why this legislation hasn't moved forward. Uh, Let's take another phone call in St. Paul. We've got George on the phone. Good morning, George. And what do you want to add to this conversation about policing? Good morning. Can you hear? Uh, Yes, I could hear you. Go ahead, George. 
Oh, we lost George. Okay, George, call us back. Uh, let's take another phone call. Uh, in Brainerd, Ed's on the phone. Hi, Ed. What do you want to tell us about uh, policing and police reform? Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, great guests. And, you know, I, I agree with your guests. I think most officers are decent people. I, I have friends in town who are poor officers. I'm old school. I, I wave to police cars going down the street when I'm out walking. But... We have a serious problem with the lack of accountability in the profession as well and repeated instances of, of monstrous behavior over and over in this state and nationwide. And I think we do need major structural change to get something different going on. And you know, the, the Minnesota Post Board Peace Officer Standard and Licensing is very historically has done virtually nothing. It's much easier to lose your license as a lawyer than a cop. Now, the post board does virtually nothing. They had there's been an unwillingness to have serious oversight and accountability. I remember a couple of years I think it was last year, the head of the I think it was the Minneapolis Police Union and well for they wanted to try to get Chauvin's job back. Then they object to not allowing white suprem- white supremacists on police forces. I it's there's a they need to put the hammer down on the serious bad actors. And I think getting rid of qualified immunity is a step in the right direction. It doesn't mean suing politicians. It means that when someone acts like Derek Chauvin, for example, or those gentlemen in Memphis, they can be sued personally. The city doesn't just pick up the tab. It comes out of their own pocket. That, that would be a step. I mean, there's structural things we can do to put the hammer down on some of this behavior. Thank you. All right, that's Ed uh, calling in from Brainerd again, uh, talking about qualified immunity, that that legal principle that protects government workers from civil lawsuits unless certain conditions are met. And it's been criticized for making it almost impossible to sue individual police officers. We talked about the federal government. What about the state legislature here in Minnesota? You know, I I recently read that both uh, the state legislature and the post board, uh, I think in the next week or two, expected to make some announcements. We're going to see some proposals about changes, uh, about police reform. What are you hoping to see? What's going to make this a conversation we're no longer having a year or two from now, uh, Chief New? You know, I, 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 I'm part of the Minnesota Chiefs of Police Association and uh, I, I, uh, good friends w- uh, with uh, the chair of the post board, uh, Chief McCarthy up in Mendota Heights. Um, and, and again, spe- the post board oversees licensing of officers mm-hmm. and can revoke licenses as well? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Right, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting because um, I know there is some – the the caller he made reference to uh, white supremacist um, uh, language that was that's being proposed and you know I, I looked at uh, uh, some of the 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 I think I think there's going to be some movement with regards to it um, there was an administrative judge that took a look at uh, some of the language that was being proposed and. Uh, I, I think if the post board grasp on to some of the language that's being proposed from the administrative judge and how to rectify that language, I think some of that will move forward. But I think one of the biggest things as chiefs of police, um, we got we have to embrace the conversation of you know what change looks like, and I think at the same time, you know whether it's a community member uh, or a politician that's. Uh, um, you know, creating these rules. I think before we start creating these rules, one of the things that needs to happen is we need to sit alongside of law enforcement and understand exactly what's taking place in law enforcement agencies. I would say, in or at least my organization, there is accountability for people. We're not giving people passes. And I think that instances like Memphis, 
uh, create this mindset or create this assumption that, no, there's no accountability uh, for this happening. When you look at what that Memphis chief did, she put those folks on administrative leave immediately. That is part of the due process, or that, and that's part of the process. She did that immediately. Um, they, there's a criminal process that needs to take place. They were charged. They were held accountable. So I think sometimes when we see these polarizing incidents in the news, we, we, we begin to think, man, there's no accountability. There's nothing being done. There is stuff being done. I would say policing is far different today in 2023 than it was in 1994, and I'm hopeful that it will continue to prove as we move forward. Chief Hodges, uh, what would you like to see happen in the state legislature? What would you like to see the post board do that could create uh, better outcomes? So I think, you know, I did submit publicly because um, I had a problem with the way the post board had just singled out white nationalist organizations, mm-hmm. right? Like to me, absolutely, you can't be a white nationalist and be a cop, Correct. but you can't be an equal terrorist either, absolutely. right? So to me, when they put the list together, the Department of Homeland Security had a list of what would be considered uh, domestic extremist groups. And that's what I gave them because I said, bottom line, I don't want a white supremacist working here. I don't want a black supremacist, an Asian supremacist. I don't want an eco-terrorist. I don't want none of these people working in my organization. So how about you pass something or write something that includes all those folks? Um, And the accountability piece. Now, historically, has police officers been held accountable for their actions? No. Right. I think this is a phenomenon that's really started to take place in the last 10 years. But now police officers are getting held accountable. I mean, I just want to reemphasize what Chief New said here. They got put on leave. They got fired. They got orange jumpsuits. I don't know what more accountability you can. I mean, Derek Chauvin, he got fired. He got an orange jumpsuit. He's in prison. I don't know what more accountability, you know, we, we can give uh, society can give these folks. Uh, Cause again, I think now, and it should have been this way all along the minute as a police officer, you start victimizing somebody. I don't care who you are. You victimize people, you go to jail. And I just want to, I just want to add one additional thing. You know, it, it, I appreciate the caller waving to the patrol officers and I appreciate his comments. But one of the things that we have to be careful of is painting the profession with a broad brush. And I think oftentimes that's that tends to happen is that these incidents occur and then you use a broad brush and you and, and you look at the people wearing the uniform as one big systematic problem of what's taking place in our community. And I got to tell you, that ain't the case. I've got officers that reach in their pocket when the homeless person doesn't have any place to stay and pays for a hotel room. I've got people that reach in their pocket, and I got a group of officers today going out shopping for a family uh, because some kids don't have clothes. The story goes on and on and on, and these are the stories that we don't talk about, and maybe we need to get better at telling these stories. But we have to be careful about painting the profession with a broad brush because when you talk about recruitment and retention, people become concerned about, man, what part, What am I getting myself into? But when you're in the trenches of doing the work, you see the quality things that people do do in the profession. I want to make sure we leave time uh, to have a conversation about mental health. And uh, our next caller wants to talk about that. This is Cheryl in North St. Paul. Cheryl, go ahead with your question or comment as we talk about uh, uh, police officers and police reform. Um, hi. So, yeah, my thought is more about when I watch the videos, um, 
that a mob mentality kind of thing takes over a lot of the time. So, and that can happen to really, really good people. There are a lot of good police officers out there, right? But when you're in a situation in such high stress, um, you can get sucked into things that you wouldn't ordinarily. And just that's what we see in the videos, but that's true in their whole job. Police and law enforcement is a stressful job. So what are we doing proactively to take care of officers and to make sure that they're healthy and their brains are healthy and they can process information? Um, it seems to me we should do some uh, care for that and some make sure they have enough vacation time, make sure that their families are supported. I'm not sure. I want to give our officers a, a chance to talk about that. What do we know about the mental health care, the resources, the access uh, for officers uh, to deal with these uh, difficult jobs, but jobs that they chose? And I know I can just speak in Bloomington. Uh, you know, we've redid our gym. Uh, we do have uh, mental health, uh, brain health. I don't use the term mental health, uh, brain health uh, things in place. Uh, we do a lot of staff gatherings um, and it, it's the decisions that come out of my office are um, not meant to cause police officers undue stress, right? There's an awareness. It's an, it's, it's an awareness support. and, you know, making sure I support uh, my officers. And that's, yeah, that's what we do here. We have 30 seconds left. Uh, Chief New, what can you say about mental health support? I would just say I love that caller because I do want more time off. But uh, <laughs> we have mental health response teams. And I know part of the thing, one of the things that's being talked about the legislation this year is uh, – our, at the legislature is uh, peer support teams and infusing more money into police departments. I do think you need to take care of police officers uh, because these are challenging jobs. Well, I want to thank uh, both of you for coming into the studio, uh, giving us some of your time, talking uh, with our listeners today. We've been talking with the uh, Brooklyn Park Police Chief Booker Hodges and Egan Police Chief Roger New. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your leadership. This conversation today was produced by Maya Beckstrom. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.